from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the This Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. So Craig, now that Halloween's over, I assume you're in your Santa Claus outfit? I not quite yet have not had a chance to dig out all my Christmas clothing. Uh, that's it was the first thing that I thought about today, though, when when I woke up, I guess. Well, oops, that's giving away when we're recording this. Uh, <laughs> at, at least it's not as far in advance as sometimes our shows are uh, just a day before. But no, I, the first thing I thought of was, OK, is it time to dig out my Christmas clothes yet and pick out a Christmas shirt? And I ultimately decided not to, just because, you know, it's 87 degrees outside. So <laughs> uh, the Christmas music is what I'm sticking to right now. And then probably this weekend, I will get to tearing down all of the Halloween decorations and start uh, start throwing up the Christmas stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I know, on Sirius Radio, yeah, I must be the only one that listens to the symphony station, because that thing gets knocked off all the time, and so when I got in the van this morning, there it was, Channel 4 was Christmas music, (laughs) and I thought, I think I had the symphony station for like three weeks, because I, I forget who it was before that, it was somebody so, yeah, that's anyway. that's why I just stick to my Apple Music radio, because <laughs> even though they'll change up stuff from time to time, there's always at least the, the stations that I know I can always go to. And and yeah. I do add a, a classical repertoire into my mix mm-hmm. just because sometimes you need to calm down. And mm-hmm. and it's classical is very calming that. And then I like smooth jazz. Mm-hmm. So those are those are the two fun facts that people get to learn about me tonight that there you don't go. share. So did you have a fun Halloween? Yeah, it was it was it was a pretty good time. So weather weather was great here. We didn't have as many trick or treaters as we normally do, but uh, it was still fun to see a lot of the costumes uh, going around. Uh, I think my favorite was uh, a lot of parents this year seemed to be dressing their kids up at least in florida in in um like 80s 70s 80s all the all the horror icons so i saw a couple michael myers i saw at least two freddy kruegers it's like i know these kids haven't even watched the movie because (laughs) they they've got to be six or seven max so maybe they did and the parents are just making questionable choices but most likely they're not but that gave, that gave me a kick every time I saw another one who's just dressed in something that they probably don't understand at all, and the parent is just like, "No, you you need to be, you need to wear this. We're gonna do this one." So yeah, with with us, it was 
it, we got more children on a school night than in the past, but nowhere near as many as on a weekend. But it was all princesses and uh, superheroes and a few scary ones, but cute scary. Yeah. It was, uh, and really young. Um, I don't know if we got any teenagers. Actually, we did not get any teenagers either. Uh, mm-hmm. It was all, oh, usually we got, you know, I would say 13, 14, 15 year olds uh, mm-hmm. that they'll come out towards later in the night. But yeah, this year we didn't get any. There was mm-hmm. one group that came through and they just didn't want candy. They were like just running around the neighborhood. So. It didn't bother me, but yeah, a lot of lot of little kids. Uh, we especially had a lot of kids in strollers, and uh, probably ones that didn't have to worry about school because they weren't old enough for it. But yeah, and, and probably weren't old enough to eat the candy. We but, got a few yeah. of those. I knew it was the parents who wanted the candy. Oh yeah, I, I would say the majority of the kids who came by aren't eating the candy that we gave them. But it's you know. Little toddlers in costumes are probably one of the most adorable things in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. (laughs) So, but, um, oh, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, theme parks and resorts tonight in our question and answer thing. And, well, I came across this actually was a couple weeks ago. I know that you miss Heimlich's Choo Choo Train, but did you know that it is not going to be gone for long? No. Yes, according what? to the stories I'm hearing, it is being refurbished and it is going to be shipped up to Pixar Studios. Are you kidding? Not that's the story that's making the rounds. Oh my gosh. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, I have a friend who works there. I wonder if she would tell me. She okay, knows now, anything about why it. Has, why has your friend not invited us <laughs> to tour the studio? Uh, she technically has. Uh, it's when when I make it out there. So. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, of course, you're bringing me. Oh, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a whirlwind trip. So uh, it's because I know I have that. I know I have the Walt Disney Family Museum with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have another friend who's currently at Lucasfilm. Um, and... I feel like there's one more thing in there that's just all well, sorts there's, of craziness. There's, well, there's something that you and I want to plan for our listeners, too. Yeah, yeah, even on top of, like, <laughs> it, but it's just it, a lot of people doing a lot of really cool jobs right now up in that area. So that's partially why I'm trying to get out at uh, some point in 2019, because I also, you know, as much as I would love to visit my friends regardless of where they live i also uh, i i know how life can change on a whim and and jobs can can change here and there mm-hmm. uh and so i would never i i, I wouldn't want to miss them while they're in their their opportunities where they're reaching out to me telling me that that they'll uh they'll they'll let me on the inside to see around yeah. so yeah so anyway, so that's the story about Heimlich's Tutu Train. Now I don't know if they're just putting it on display, or are they actually? Is there space to actually set the thing up? Because I know some of the props were um, going here and there, but um, so so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I oh, if they actually were able to set it up 
even you know it doesn't need all of the foliage just as long as the main props were there the watermelon the animal crackers just stuff like that as long as they could do that oh man that yeah. that would be incredible yeah yeah so anyway and so speaking of uh, other incredible things coming of course we have destination d's almost upon us and uh, just to let folks know i will be in orlando from november 7th uh, that's when i'll be arriving to uh, november 18th so i am looking forward to seeing our dizzers and and hopefully i'll get a chance to see folks uh, in the parks as i wander yeah. around and all that kind of stuff and um so let me know if you're going to be there. And uh, and also, um, we're, we're having, we've been talking about this the last few weeks now, Destination D, we are having a Connecting with Walt meetup at the Contemporary Resort. Craig, do you once again want to share the details about that? Yes. If you're tuning in for the first time or haven't paid attention to the others, uh, on Friday, the, the first day that you can go and check in and get all your registration stuff done with the event that's the 16th uh, we are going to be meeting at two o'clock at the outer rim lounge excuse me outer rim lounge that's on the fourth floor of the contemporary so it is right beside the entrance to chef mickey's and contempo cafe and it's impossible to miss as long as you walk to that area very convenient uh, from the the ground floor, if you're coming over from the parking lot or Magic Kingdom, you know you just walk in the lobby and go up to the fourth floor. If you decided to come from the monorail from Magic Kingdom or any other way on the monorail line, you're you're already dropped off at the fourth floor. You just take the escalator down from the monorail or elevator, and you're right there. And uh, as we've said with it, it's going to be completely casual. Uh, we don't know who's showing up. Uh, we just know that we're going to be there, and uh, we're gonna sit and chat with people and just kind of hang out and get to know everyone and get no set times we just wanted to pick a time that's a little bit after lunch but before dinner so that way we don't interfere on plans too much and and we know that people have fast passes made and lots of other arrangements so uh, it's it you don't have to feel obligated to come and spend too much time there if you just want to drop by and say hi and leave from there you can feel free to do that too it's again it's nothing formal so that is again friday the 16th at 2 p.m and just throwing it on there as a side a little bit of a bonus here Uh, if anyone was looking for one ticket to destination d just one and they they didn't get it because it sold out Get in touch with me either on Twitter at Teleclaster or send me an email about it, Craig at DisneyInfo.com, because I may be able to assist you in this. Uh, again, it's just for one ticket only, but I could be able to help out with it. So just let me know. Time's time's a ticking. Mm-hmm. Great. We're looking forward to seeing you. So, all right. Well, every quarter we invite members of our Connecting with Walt family to become a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. And we received um, over 70 questions uh, before I pulled them all on the Diz Unplugged Facebook page. And we've selected a few to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Uh, We've categorized them by topic, and Craig and I will take turns selecting the questions and discussing them. Um, As usual, the theme parks and resorts got get they always get the most um 
questions. So what we're going to do is this week, we're just going to look at, we're going to pull some questions for theme parks and resorts. And then next week, we will look at some of the other categories and pull and try to pull as many questions as we can from each of those categories. So sounds like a plan. Who is going to start, though? We didn't decide Um, that. Oh, no. Well, I think you usually start. So how about if I start this time? Okay. Okay. Hit me with your best one. All right. Well, I'm just going to start with the first one. I was going to do the same. (laughs) (laughs) So this is from Philip. And he asked, which announced addition or change to the parks were you most disappointed in when it did not come to fruition? That is, which canceled project were you most saddened by? Or it could be something that did happen, but the end result was much different than the originally announced plan. Oh, Philip, there are so many. So many. So, uh, so okay, I don't remember our format, Craig. Do I, if I select, do you answer first yes. or do I answer? Okay. That's I'm our format. I'll throw it to you then. Okay. Um, yeah, so I am going to just stick, uh, as you just said, there are so, so many to choose from throughout the years. So I'm just going to stick for uh, at least one of the, the most recent examples of something that was that was planned and announced at D23 Expo 2017 and ended up uh, all falling apart. And and for me, I was actually one of those weird hosts who was really looking forward to whatever was going to happen with our Main Street Theater that yes. got the axe uh, supposedly to, to make budget for a new monorail fleet or something else. But I, I, I love high capacity attractions especially when you're you're saying a theater format uh the the instant thing that i thought of was something comparable to what we had or to what you have out in california with the hyperion theater and Mm -hmm. showing now the frozen uh show but before that aladdin and thinking about how that is a massive massive theater that can just hold so many people and while while Magic Kingdom does have it, it's people eaters for sure, whether it's in attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, It's a Small World, or going to the shows uh, like Hall of Presidents and and um, in Phil Her Magic, there, there's a lot. But that theater is just so, so big uh, that if ours was if our theater was going to be anything on that level too, I think it was just going to, to help out so much with capacity and crowds at the magic kingdom. And that's uh, while, while I get irritated with crowds at every park, like any human would, for some reason, a really busy day at the magic kingdom feels busier than any other place in the world. And so anything to help it would, would be, would be greatly appreciated in my book. So as for recent, recent projects that's that's what kind of upsets me but i want to hear about yours because i think you're going to go broader i i am i but i agree with you i think it's too bad that the magic kingdom does not have a theater where they can do more elaborate shows and it's surprising when you consider the uh, the size of the park because yeah at california adventure there is the hyperion theater where they've done some spectacular shows and frozen and then (laughs) and then even the fantasyland theater over at disneyland i mean look at 
the scale of some of the shows they've done there, including, you know, Mickey and the Magical Map. And there's no place in the Magic Kingdom where something like that can be staged. And they need, they definitely need something like that. Yeah. That, that, that park deserves something like that. Exactly. It's uh, just entertainment-wide. It's You know, we do have standouts like our Festival of the Lion King and Finding Nemo the <laughs> Musical. Mm-hmm. But it's beyond that. It's not a lot of great happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even even though they've been showing Beauty and the Beast since I can remember when, uh, you know, even Disney Hollywood Studios has a venue. Exactly. Yep. You know, yep. so, um, yeah. For me, I'm going back. This, and this might be a little obscure. And people, especially when they know my love for Muppets Take Liberty Square, they might think this is curious. Uh, Disney's America. And I am very disappointed this was not built. For folks who don't know, this was in 1993, the Walt Disney Company announced plans to build a theme park called Disney's America that was very near to our nation's capital. And it, according to the press releases, it was a unique and historically detailed environment celebrating the nation's richness of diversity, spirit, and innovation. And it was going to be 35 miles west of Washington, D.C. And there were going to be historically themed attractions uh, like recreations of Ellis Island, a Native American village, a roller coaster ride through a steam mill, um, hangars filled with aircraft that fought in both world wars, a live action showdown between the Civil War ironclads. And I, I just think, especially given the state of how history is taught in our schools today, I think that I think if this were pulled off well, um, this would have been a way to bring our history alive in, in you know, the, the edutainment or infotainment way that Disney was so well known for that yeah. maybe it would have sparked an interest in um, our history for, uh, for our youth. Uh, unfortunately, the protests immediately started from mm. the residents at Prince William County, Virginia, and historians, preservationists were concerned about, you know, the impact it would have um, near um, the Manassas National Battlefield, which is only five miles away. So it was scrapped a little more than a year after it was announced. Um, Of course, now, you know, they were concerned about the, the historical preservation of the area. I believe it's a parking lot. Now for a shopping mall, this area. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I guess that's real authentic there, Um, Prince William County. Um, Also, (laughs) if you look at, and someday we're going to do a whole show on Disney's America. But um, if you look at the plans for Disney's America, and then you look at the plans for Disney's California Adventure, and you think, huh, Wow, a lot of this looks really similar. Yes, you're right. It does. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so my other reason for this is that maybe if Disney's America had been built, it would have prevented Disney's California Adventure from being built. And maybe something um, more worthy of the Disney name would have been built there in 2001. Yeah. So... No, I, I I love the idea of America, but it's, you know, at Disney, no good idea ever truly dies. 
No, but. no, and and I, <laughs> I, you know, if they ever decided, and we may get into the concept again of, you know, when we talk about, you know, we've talked about is is it time for a third Disney theme park and resort area, yeah. maybe in the middle of the country? And I thought, okay, yes, you know, th- they would have to have a castle park. I think it could be more in the in the line of Disneyland, not the the huge, huge Walt Disney World. I mean, that should be unique unto itself. Yeah. I, I, and but um, you know, or more of a regional size park and have a castle park, but more like Shanghai, where it's completely unique. Yeah. And then if they have a second park, it could be something like Disney's America. Yeah. But um, you never know. Or it could be something completely different. Yeah. Now, Craig, part two of this, did you? Um, is there something that changed from the original concept? It was built, mm-hmm. but it, it's like a shadow of what it originally was announced um, or conceived of. I mean, the only thing that jumps out to me in my mind is as a concept of a whole is is Epcot. That mm-hmm. I would love to have seen it as an actual working city, all all of the Florida resort. So it's it, it's great how it is. I'm down here, mm-hmm. I live here, but but ultimately, yeah, I think anyone who's truly a fan of Epcot wishes that it could do one of two things: that it either could go back to to classic Epcot, which is what we inevitably got, or go one step further and get the true Epcot and have it be this this experimental prototype community of tomorrow yeah that would be cool i think for me the one that jumped in my mind was the western river expedition that gradually became big thunder mountain railroad and even though i'm delighted that variations of big thunder mountain railroad have made it almost completely around the world um I, i i still would have loved to have seen western river expedition yeah so. Yeah, and I also would love to have seen the Muppet Dark Ride. That never happened, and I just oh. had to throw a way to find a way to throw that in there real quick. Yeah. Oh, I like <laughs> the Muppets. I just don't like them in Liberty Square. And yeah. <laughs> too. I have a feeling they're going to pop up again here. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to actually. You can't see it the people listening, but on our list, I'm going to go with the second question because I actually do, uh, I do think that the first part of it is what I'm going to stick with, not the second, but this one comes from Jake. And what do you think the pros and cons of attractions being rethemed to Disney intellectual properties like Maelstrom to Frozen, Pirates with the Pirate movies? Well, Maelstrom wasn't rethemed. It was torn out yeah. and a completely new attraction was rebuilt you know that that's um you know that's like you know in hong kong you know they tore out uh buzz lightyear and they're putting in um ant-man and the wasp you know so yeah. that, that's not retheming. <laughs> so um but um i i'm not a fan of it you know i understand pulling maelstrom and Force wedging in Frozen there. Okay, we've discussed that on previous shows. I'm not a fan of retheming, you know. Uh, but yet, you know, it's how the submarines, the submarine voyage was saved yeah. at 
Disneyland. But I really hate what they did to the Living Seas with Nemo and Friends. I think that is such a step down from what that that pavilion was. And as we talked on our Epcot episode, you know, it's sad that pavilion that there's another one where the original concept just sounded so cool. Um, But um, I I think it's rare that they're improved in my book. I I mean, pirates. Yeah. Throwing in Johnny Depp was fine. I don't think it made that big a deal to it. I'm probably more disturbed with, um, pulling out the the auction scene but i have not seen the new version so that might change you yeah. know when i'm when i'm in um, walt yeah. disney world in a couple of weeks you're not missing much it. there so now i i just to go off what you say i don't think that it's been done well enough yet to to have any pros um obviously yeah the pro is if you add a theme onto an already existing attraction, a, a big intellectual property, you're going to pull more people in and to see it. And so I do understand the concept of that, especially in a place like World Showcase, where a lot of I mean, I'd, I'd say more than ever now, people actually care about the countries and learning and, and dealing with the, the cast members who live there. And that's great. But uh, anything to draw people in more to actually learn about the cultures. I think that's a great thing, but it's still, I I don't think there's any intellectual property that's been put into an attraction that has improved it. And Oh no, no, no. You're forgetting Stitch's great escape. (laughs) How could I forget? Uh, (laughs) One day I think Imagineers will learn how to do it. I, I think they'll learn how to, to make good choices about when it makes sense to retheme with intellectual properties. But right now, I, I think a lot of it under the, the Bob Chapek reign is just going to be uh, so merchandise heavy and based on selling, selling, selling that uh, the, the actual thought behind why are we putting these characters in here? I, I don't think that's happening. And until, until that thinking starts happening, it, it's going to be very shallow. But that being said, I do love stuff like Frozen Ever After. It just it's still the the age old debate of should it replaced what was already there mm-hmm. or just been built somewhere else. Yeah, so. I'm really looking forward to when they do a Frozen attraction that is in its in in a show building that was built for the attraction, and it's yeah. not that okay, we're pulling out this attraction, so we're stuck with a boat ride and. There's a part where you have to go backwards. So, okay, we'll have Elsa throw you out of her castle as in that scene, which that really makes no sense to me. And then, uh, you know, uh, so I guess we're going to see that in one of the Asian parks before we see it here. Yeah. But um, so it's, I'm really fascinated to see what do they do when they can create a frozen ride from scratch. Yeah. So. I agree. Because that, 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 you know, even though the song drove us nuts and it was, I think they sort of killed a golden goose. Um, they oversaturated that film. It deserves an attraction. Oh, it absolutely does. It deserves all the praise it got. I mm-hmm. am still kicking myself that I didn't, uh, back in 2013, that I didn't go with you to the animation, uh, the animation panel at the expo to 
to hear Adina Menzel sing it for the first time. Oh like, yeah, that I, was amazing. It's I I have a lot of fond memories attached to that movie. It was treated poorly, like most most of the time Disney does with their products. They're not ready to have a full campaign launched alongside because they don't know whether or not they can trust it to work and. Uh, about the only thing they did right was having the World of Color Winter Dreams debut alongside the movie, and it, they got it in that way. But beyond that, everything came too late and then came too quickly altogether, just reusing mm-hmm. the same songs over and over instead of really trying to be broader with it. But got more out of that question than you expected. But yeah, yeah what's, that was, <laughs> what's that the was next good. one, Michael? Um, well, you know, I think. I think you'll have some good insights into this, given that you produce so many shows and videos and things for the Diz. And this is from Sherry. It's a two-parter, but I, I think um, well, maybe a three-parter. But I think maybe we can only really t- t- confidently talk about maybe the first couple of questions mm-hmm. here. It's from Sherry. How do you think social media has affected the theme parks? That's her first part. Um, if you could change something to improve the guest experience, what what I think would it be? And then uh, and then the last one is what technology, new technology you think Disney's developing to use in the future that will up the game and, and, and I don't know. I don't know how up to date we are and what's going on. Yeah. in Imagineering. But how do you think Craig's social media has affected the theme parks? <sighs> Honestly, I think it's different for someone like me and a lot of our our listeners out there who we are actively on social media, trying to always keep up with what's happening in the parks and and our love of the parks. So to us, social media has had a huge impact. Uh, just just massive um, it, with everything. We're the ones who are constantly on the lookout for that brand new merchandise item that everyone wants to to go out and buy. We're, we're the ones who are the first to, to see the picture of the new food item that everyone's going to want to put on Instagram. Uh, we are so wrapped up in it. Uh, right here i know it's a different form of social media that a lot of people don't consider social but youtube with what we do with the dis and the video side of things and then even podcast this is still very social uh with how we run things and and people just spend hours and hours and hours uh just digesting everything that we're we're throwing out there so the impact has been massive to this one fan base the average person that comes to Walt Disney World, though, I don't think they're noticing a lot of the, uh, the a lot of the people who are there for social media. I don't think they see like if they see someone taking a picture on Main Street asking to hold the balloons, they think probably cute photo. What they don't realize is that the the guy or gal who who is getting that photo done probably worked on their outfit and their their hair and everything that goes along with it for hours before coming out just to take that one photo it, but in that but that's also that new crowd that has developed uh in the parks that I don't think we saw before that are more focused on coming and photographing food and merch and in themselves rather than actually caring about about just enjoying the experience it's more mm-hmm. of a i need to do this so i can share it and and we know it because it's the world that we live in disney knows it because they're specifically targeting all of these people and and 
marketing to them because they know they're going out to spend money on merchandise and food and and drinks and all that so it's win-win for them uh if they can start making instagram worthy hotels then game over it's they've got you locked in for everything but uh to the average guest no i don't i don't think it's impacting them i i think it's only to those of us and all of our listeners out there myself michael uh, everyone I work with that is around it on a daily basis that we truly are paying attention to see how social media is is hurting the parks, which it's it's really not. Mm-hmm. I, I from a history point of view, I've found it fascinating. I mean, some of the some of the early social media uh, impact that we've seen that we talked about on the show. For instance, uh, we talked in in one of our recent. Um, this week in Disney history contest with um, Tom Bell, how, you know, the whole campaign to save Mr. Toad that started on, that was one of the first big social media impacts on a park to where, well, Disney would not announce an, a closure of an attraction in advance because, you know, it, people came out to the park to chain themselves to that attraction once somebody posted on their website that it was being closed. Mm-hmm. Or the whole light magic debacle when, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is what happens when you deliver a parade based on a date rather than it based on, on its readiness. And that was when Disney learned uh, the power of social media when when the the advanced preview for um, for uh, you, you know um, oh my gosh for you know the um, annual pass holders and and I mean the lights didn't go turn back on in the park because that 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 was, it was a disaster <laughs> the first rollout it, I mean it was hitting social media how. Um, how, what a ruin that parade was, and and there was no way the parade replacing the Mesa Vecto parade was going to win. Yeah. It was going, it, it, it couldn't, um, at least not at <laughs> Disneyland. And I mean, and and they and it gave Disney no time to retool that parade. Whereas prior to social media, if they had a bad rollout, a bad test, they could bring it back in and fix it and roll it out again. Yeah. And, and very few people would have any memory of that first disastrous debut. Yeah. But, well, and, sorry. Yeah, going, no, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's a big thing is going off on that, that uh, a negative impact has been anytime little incidents happen on property now because of social media a huge deal is made out of it like when the when the dragon in festival of fantasy caught on fire like that it you know back in the day if that would have happened i have a feeling that maybe some people would know about it outside of the people who were there watching it but like that wouldn't have made it in the newspaper that wouldn't have been all over social media um, or well, it would have if it would have been around back then. But back then, that that stuff wasn't really spread because there wasn't a way to do that. So in that way, it's great because we're getting these we're getting these stories from the parks that that weren't getting out there before. But at the same time, these little issues like animatronics malfunctioning, heads falling off, things like that. That you know, Disney's not actively trying to. They're not actively trying to let stuff go into disrepair. Sometimes things just happen, and 
if it wasn't for social media, most people wouldn't know or care about it. But right. once it goes viral, it goes viral. On the same side of that, the amazing part about social media and specifically YouTube is that we now have a massive video library, not just the Diz, mm-hmm. but because of everyone out there. The parks are being filmed, photographed more than ever before and being stored in a safe way that is pretty much, unless YouTube just goes belly up with Google and all that, it's going to be stored for future, future generations down the road to look back on. And that is really cool because I think all of us wish that those decades of Disneyland and Walt Disney World that that have come and gone would have gotten the same love and attention. Yeah. And we could look back on that many family photos and family videos from them then. That would be so cool. That's true. And we can travel to the parks around the world. Yeah. From the comfort of our um, home because people are filming the attractions. It's a great so, point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and, and you know, it's interesting because, you know, and, and Disney's certainly trying to capitalize on the whole Instagram thing. You know, like when you're waiting for a parade, cast members come with the little, you know, the little bubble you can hold stating the oh, name yeah. of the parade and on they'll take your photos and, you know, and all that stuff. So they're getting savvy about it. I, I, what, I what I'm disappointed in is like now when you're in the queues, uh, you know, everybody's on their cell phone. And you don't see the interaction as much exactly the guests and 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 unfortunately, Disney seems to be trying to work on technology that draws us more to our phones and i you know i and I understand why, but yeah, I wish they weren't, but you yeah. know, but I guess they they figure if you're going to be on your phone, you might as well be on something we're making that maybe might enhance your park experience, yeah, and that is the one benefit of their their play Disney app is that. Mm-hmm. At least it does keep you in the parks, and you will interact with your family in that way. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's that's one of the big drawbacks of cell phones is it's just, well, I have my phone. I could either talk to the people I'm with or I could be on it. Why yeah, not yeah. be on it? <laughs> and in terms of new technology, I, know, I mean, there's been a lot of things out on the internet and stuff i mean it almost sounds like it's holodeck kind of thing you know for for star trek fans yeah so there's there's all kinds of stuff that seems to be coming down the pike so but but it's interesting you know like um you know like the, the the virtual reality stuff you know disney has to be careful because so much of this new technology is coming into the, our homes yeah. so they have to develop technology that is going to get us to to pay over a hundred dollars a day to walk through the gates of their parks yeah it, it can't be technology that we we can have access to at our, in our homes or at the local mall, yeah. if any local malls still exist. Yeah. So, um, so it, it is going to be interesting to see what they do develop, and I, and it may be that it's going to be way more immersive um, environments. Yeah, you know, because yeah. we can't really get those, you know, in our homes or in any other places. So things like Cars Land, Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. You know, that that may be what we see, technology surrounding that. So, I don't know. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Craig? Eh, I think you've basically said everything mm-hmm. that I'm right. I agree with you. Yeah. So. Okay. 
Um, whose question is it? Is it's mine? My I turn to ask yours, you, yeah. I believe. Okay, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to kind of lump two questions together. Uh, okay. One comes from Tegan, and the other comes from Dee Dee, and they're both about uh, what's our favorite international mm. park or Didi says if you could pick one attraction from each of the Disney parks I'm just going to lump it into one uh, hers goes on to saying put them in the Magic Kingdom what would you choose so uh, since there's two very similar ones I- I'm just going to combine that together if we could okay. bring one uh, one international attraction to either Disneyland or Magic Kingdom what okay. would it be now is it one from each Disney park? That's how I interpreted it. it, it well, I mean, that's how she wrote it. We could do a full okay. episode on that, though. Okay. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll develop that in the future here when we need another fun one. Uh, but for the time being, so we can get to other questions, let's just stick okay. with one. Hmm. So, um, oh, gosh, this is hard. Because I did, except for Disneyland Paris and the Walt Disney Studios parks, I've never been there. I pulled it. So create a dream park in the magic kingdom oh so so it's the existing magic kingdom and yeah. then you drop one in there yeah well it could be your for you disneyland too but just pick one international attraction that you would place in either your disneyland or my magic kingdom okay oh gosh this is hard uh i th- i i'm going back and forth between two uh I think I'm from Shanghai Disneyland. I think I would pull Camp Discovery because we really don't have. We, well, you know, we sort of do have something like now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe out at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. Get rid of those Winnie the Pooh attractions <laughs> and from Tokyo Disneyland, Winnie the Pooh's Honey Hunt. Put that one in there. That's that's it. All, that's it. I'll grab. That that's a good choice. So because um, that is an e-ticket attraction. <laughs> yeah. No, I I was kind of going to go with a similar mindset mm-hmm. um, with not not taking your attraction, but I was going to go with the the same type of mindset originally and say Big Thunder Mountain at Disneyland Paris. I would rather have that than the Big Thunder at at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. And thats I know that's a big thing at Disneyland, considering I love the area that it's around. But just having it isolated off on its own island, Michael, you're going to go insane when, mm-hmm. when you finally get to do it. It is so cool. But uh, other than that, the one thing I love out in out in, um, in Disneyland Paris that I think could play, be placed in Disneyland and particularly where very well is the Alice in Wonderland maze that they mm. have there. I feel like that would just be between the Mad Tea Party and the Alice in Wonderland attraction to have the, the hedge maze there too. It would just be the icing on the cake to that whole area. I don't know where they would put it, so you'd have to create new land to put it on, but it, it would <laughs> just be epic if they could do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Because I wasn't as impressed at the Shanghai one. I think it was based on the Tim Burton films. Yeah. But, and, uh, but it was still cool. Yeah. I, it, having the actual animated version be the inspiration, I think it fit just so, so well. Mm-hmm. And it might have also been them all gargling in French 
when I couldn't understand them. But <laughs> you know, it's you, you just enjoy the environment you're in. Okay. So let's see here. All right. Uh, well, okay. Well, here's I'm going to go with um, James. James's question. This is your from your kingdom. What kind of themed hotel would you be excited to see at see Walt Disney World build and stay at? Would you like to see Walt Disney World resurrect an old idea such as Venetian Resort or Arabian themed resort that were in the original plans for Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake? Oh, that is, that's a really tough question. I, and the reason it is so tough is because uh, they've already built the, the themed hotel of my dreams and that is Wilderness Lodge. Uh, that's just, if I didn't live here anymore and I was coming down on vacation, that would always be my number one choice just because mm-hmm. I, I love it. I love, I love the idea of the Pacific Northwest. It just, it appeals to me. We vacationed a lot in Colorado because I love mountains. I love nature. I love the serenity of it. So they've already, they've already done it in that way. But, um, I, it's, Huh. As much as I like the idea of like the Venetian resort or Arabian themed, I would love I would love to go with like oh I I know I'm stumbling all over myself here. I'm just trying to choose something that doesn't you're, sound you're, dumb. You're going to say a Muppets theme resort, aren't you? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm going. <laughs> I'm trying to think of from of places around the world that I think are just beautiful to look at. Um, and in a lot of the one thing that keeps jumping out in my mind is like actual Japanese countryside. And going mm-hmm. at a hotel with that aesthetic. So very similar to what you see in World Showcase, but but brought to life as a hotel. I feel like that would be something just just perfect, especially in the, the Bay Lake area. It could just be nestled in the woods somewhere around there and, and fit in very well. That sounds nice, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say that whoever is now designing hotels and resorts for Disney needs to be fired. I am... These hotels are so generic. I don't know which one it was where I told you it it looks like it's Las Vegas themed. Is that the Coronado? (laughs) I believe Uh, so, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean... I don't know if this if this is the kind of concept art that it's just they just needed to draw something, but all of it has just it it does not it does not appear to have any of the creativity of of the Disney resorts. Uh, I I don't know what they're going after, but um, anyway, so I just want to say that that I even like the latest DVC at um, Fort Wilderness it's on River Country's property I thought this doesn't look like it fits at all into that setting I mean I don't know it's but, it's tough right now so it's definitely that it's a thing for millennials that boutique hotels have taken over it's they offer a certain minimalist approach that is elegant and not overly done finds ways to bring in accents and touches and uh, so it appeals to a lot of people it's just 
such it, it is a complete 180 from what Disney was doing for the longest time that I, I understand why it leaves a lot of people in their tracks. I when Universal started retheming their actual hotel rooms in that style, I, I knew it was inevitable that Disney was going to do the same. And, and I think even Pete said a derogatory comment towards me about it, thinking that, oh, Disney's never going to do that. They're all, they are always going to be the gold standard. And then, then look what's, what's happened. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's but, eventually trends will change and they will, they will change back. So just hopefully for the people who love the, the old theming style of Disney, it's not, it's not too much has changed that it can't be reverted back. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would, yeah, I hope so. I don't know. I, I Or I hope they get their senses together and say, you know what, we're changing the concept for this. Yeah. Because um, I think they could still have that kind of an aesthetic, but still make it uniquely Disney. Yeah. But, um, and I don't mm-hmm. mean like Mickey Mouse everywhere, but look at some of the resorts they have that are just, they transport you, you know, and I don't think any of these new ones do. Yeah. All. Yeah. I get and, that. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, but what I would I would like to see something resurrected. Uh, this was it, it was another themed moderate resort. This is the part of the Disney decade. Um, it was it was uh, called um, for, had a couple of names. Fort Wilderness Junction. So actually, Craig, we're exactly where you want to want to go. Uh, it was also called the Buffalo Junction Resort. It was originally conceived as a six hundred room hotel at. Um, it, in between Fort Wilderness and Disney's Wilderness Lodge. And it was, uh, the, the hotel sort of would have been similar to the boardwalk area near Epcot, but it would be themed to the Old West. Uh, there'd be horses on, um, you know, sawdust streets. Um, and they would have they would have copied the Buffalo Bill Wild West show from Disneyland Paris and had that there. Hmm. That's very and, popular there. Yeah, and I just think that that just sounded so cool, and I think we need um, more moderate resorts. I I will say that they they, mm-hmm. they need way more moderate resorts. So, uh, and I feel like moderate is to me a lot of them are the, the best balance. So I'm not a fan of Caribbean Beach, but that's just because I don't like that aesthetic. But mm-hmm. I, I do love I love the idea behind Coronado. Uh, French Quarter and Riverside are great. I just think mm-hmm. they need to do more like like that. So, mm-hmm. or create a complete new category that's more like with the Wilderness Lodge and Animal Kingdom, where they're they're deluxe resorts, but they're not. They're kind of one step down from the flagships, like uh, like for instance, Grand Floridian, Polynesian, Contemporary. You know, just just that that in between level where they they still are very heavily themed and have a purpose but a little bit more elegant sides to them so okay but your turn to ask a question oh is it i thought i asked this one no no i i asked it didn't i no i did okay um i guess i have to choose a question for you (laughs) (laughs) this is the problem we always get stumbled up on this um (laughs) I did see one. Well, I don't really want to ask that one to you because I feel like you might not have put the thought into it yet. But I still might. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
I think I'm just going to have to ask you the tough one. So, um, and you don't have to go too in depth in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just a couple examples, but this one comes from, I believe, Yvonne. Uh, if you could go 20 years into the future, which rides and attractions from 28 do, oh. 2018 do you think will still be there? Yeah, it's funny. I, I saw that. Because I always thought when I watched Star Trek, I always wonder, I wonder if Disneyland's still around <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in the 23rd century. And what does it look like? You know, it's funny. In 20 years, I think a majority of the attractions will still be there. I, I, I mean, I think, I, I think some will be gone. But yeah. I think that the tried and true ones, I think a lot, I think we're going to see most of the classic ones still there. I think we might see upgrades to them as technology improves. Like, you know, we, like Disneyland, the original dark rides in Fantasyland, those are all different from what they were in 1955, but they're still there. So I think, I think it's a small world. I think pirates, I think all of those are still going to be around. But um, they might be upgraded. But yeah. I, I don't see them knocking down, you know, majority of these in order to put in virtual reality, you know, and stuff like that. I think we'd see significant changes to some that are like Star Tours. It's, you know, based on um, heavily based on technology. Exactly. You know, like that. Or or um Soarin', or even the the world of Pandora World of Av- you know, Pandora, World of Avatar. We might see significant changes to those because they're so technology heavy. But I think I think in twenty years those parks are just gonna feel really familiar to us. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I a uh, couple of the other shows we've been doing lately, I've been kinda trying to do throwback episodes. So one of the, uh, like, for a best and worst episode of Walt Disney World, I was kind of looking at it to see, like, oh, can we do a, a best of best of Magic Kingdom 1993, worst of Magic Kingdom 1993, you know, 25 years since then. And I started looking at the list, and it's like, well, most of these attractions are still the exact same, uh, with with a little bit of change here and there. But a lot of the core is still the exact same, and so yeah, the the one the only thing that like jumped out to me right away, thinking Magic Kingdom based, uh, that won't be there in twenty years. I don't think Filler Magic will still be there in twenty years. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know, in terms of three D technology, uh, an attraction like Flight of Passage has already rendered that old three D pretty useless. Uh, and well, and there's talk of that they're redoing Philharmagic. Yeah, 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 and that that doesn't hurt the situation. I don't think Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin will still be there. Uh, I agree. And just so uh, examples like that, I don't want to say it in a mean way, but but, but Monster Inc. Laugh Floor will live on. <laughs> no, that that will be gone too. <laughs> I, the expendable attractions are going to go. The ones that have already been changed up a couple times in history, unless they finally replaced it with something that's working, chances are it's just going to get replaced again. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't like. I love filler magic. I, I do enjoy Buzz Lightyear, but I, I feel like they were built not with the mindset of let's make a classic. It's just what can we put in here new and improved right now. And if the attractions don't live up to that classic status right away then their time is limited 
But as for like Hollywood Studios, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, it's it, it's anyone's guess, you know. I, I think uh, Staples, like you mentioned, uh, the World of Avatar, that'll still be there. Expedition Everest will still be there. Uh, Hollywood Studios, maybe Tower of Terror will be there, maybe not. Galaxy's Edge sure will. For as much mm-hmm. money as they're putting on there, we'll still have the World Showcase, maybe with new pavilions. Either that or we're still going to be rumoring Brazil and other <laughs> countries 20 years from now. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it, that's, it's really, really difficult when Disney doesn't like removing a lot of stuff to make way for the future. Yeah. So. And guests like, they like, you know, having some of the, they like having some of the new, but they like having some of the familiar. And you know, a lot of a lot of people like bringing their children and their grandchildren to these attractions, yep. and ta- because they enjoyed them in their youth. So I think you know now 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 it wouldn't surprise me if some of the dark rides got replaced with newer films that become classics over time. Yeah, like you know, I I don't so. think Mr. Toads will last forever in Disneyland. I wish it would. I don't. I don't think it will, though. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it it went someday. But boy, it would have to be a big blockbuster. And the thing is, it's not a big footprint. Yeah, you know. So, exactly. Um, but it, you know, it, so it would be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah, like I, I think that would stay longer than Pinocchio. But I feel like Pinocchio would probably go first. And mm-hmm. here in Magic Kingdom, uh, you know, we already just pour out Snow White for uh, Princess Meet and Greet, so who knows what they would do next, so I guess Pooh shouldn't feel safe anytime soon, And but oh, the only God. thing you can guarantee is that Peter Pan is safe. That yeah. will never go away, as long as... No, absolutely not. But we may that may be an attraction where in 20 years, the technology in that, it could be a different experience. As they, you know, it'll, you'll still be hanging on, on pirate ships, but... Um, the scenes may be upgraded. We could have just VR on it. It'd be perfect. Oh, God, it'd be awful. <laughs> so. um. Yeah, and they'll claim, oh, because we can change it whenever yeah. we want for the seasons, and then they won't change it for 30 years. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I believe we have time for one more question here. Okay. Well, there's one that I'm just going to... I'm just going to answer it, and then we can choose another one. Just okay. because, so that because somebody asked something, we've actually already done a show on it. Did a show. Okay. On it. Um, Lisa asks, "Can you discuss the 1964 World's Fair and its impact on Disneyland and animatronics?" Um, Lisa, what you want to do is go into our Disneyland show archives um, and look for April 19th, um, 2015, Disneyland at 60, the World's Fair. And it and all your questions and more will be answered in that episode. So um, anyway, so so that's that. And uh, let's see, where's another one in here? Well, Spencer, right? I, I could answer his questions about the cats at Disneyland. But, <laughs> I think um, you should do that. Oh, okay. Well, this is just. Great. And then I'll ask you the last question. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, Spencer's asked, can you? Please explain the Cats of Disneyland, which is an absolutely delightful sight when um, the cat decides to actually write something. He's been rather quiet of late. Uh, I have never been, and the Internet gives all kinds of information, such as stating they are pests, used for rodent control, and only come out at night. Thank you. Well, 
if you've been listening, if you listen to the Disneyland at sixty series, you will, uh, Spencer, you will know um, Walt's surprise when he found out that. Uh, cats were um hunkered down inside sleeping beauty castle when he walked in when he decided he wanted an attraction inside of it and he and emil curie and and, and all that, they walked in there and oh my gosh that they they, they they that castle was filled with cats and fleas and so as the story goes walt um arranged for the cats to be washed, um, spayed or neutered, and then they were adopted out. Um, Cast members were given the first option to take those cats, and then they were adopted out through, um, you know, the SPCA and all that kind of stuff. That's that's the story. The cats um, that live in the resort today, it's not that the park wants them there. Um, You know, some of them wander in because, you know, there's this huge forested area basically in the middle of an urban area so feral cats are attracted to that area because there are rodents and birds and all of that in the you know that that go in there and that's great for cats unfortunately there have been people that have let their cats go within the environs of the park thinking what a safe happy place for them so there are cats but so the the resort does try to manage the cats that are there. Um, there are cast members dedicated to ensuring the cats are healthy. Uh, there's not as many there as you would think. Um, they do come out during the day. You can spot them all around the resort. Sometimes they're just sunning themselves somewhere. Other times they're wandering around. Um, there are uh, The resort has established feeding and sleeping stations. Um, around the resort to make sure that they're cared for. They are, um, the, the resort does have them spayed and neutered in order to control the population. If kittens are born, again, they, cast members are given first choice to adopt the cats. Otherwise, they do work with, um, the local, um, adoption agencies to find the cats' homes, the kittens' homes. But and if any cat becomes too guest friendly, then they are also adopted out to cast members. But most of the cats just sort of stay off by themselves. But but the resort does ask that you don't feed the cats, that you don't play with them, pet them, you know, stuff yeah. like that, because they don't want them to um, be encouraged to interact with the guests. It's just fun to spot. It is, and and if you go on Cats at Disneyland, people they've been given names, they've been given personalities, <laughs> they've been given, it, it's really very entertaining. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to ask the final question to you. It's a tough one, mm-hmm. but an easy one, but tough. This one comes from Brian, and if you could have any job in any park, what would it be and why? Gosh, you know, I've thought of this. Um, it used to be in horticulture. I thought it would be fun to plant, uh, you know, to design, you know, work on topiaries and plant them and all that. And I thought, yeah, that'd be hot. <laughs> so I think Absolutely. it would. I think it would be fun to um, drive a Main Street vehicle. That was always my second choice because it means you're a resident of Main Street. You you you're either start, you're starting guests' days off 
because they might be piling into the the vehicle in order to take the ride down to the hub. Uh, and maybe it's because grandma just can't walk all the way down there, grandma or grandpa or something, or they, they just want to feel part of Main Street. And you're setting the scene for them because you're bringing them into the experience. You're bringing them into the scene. By, by your interaction with them as a resident of Main Street. And also, you get to see a castle all day. I think that would be cool. And you, uh, as part of your job, and you get to honk your horn at people, which I think would be fun. And uh, so I just think that would be neat. And, and just, you know, interacting with different people in your role. I think that would be yeah. a lot of fun. And yes, it means every trip would be different. Up and down Main Street, based on who's in your car and who's in the way of your car or, yep. or whatever you're driving. What about you, Craig? It doesn't happen that often, but you completely stole my answer. Hmm. And I half expected you to give the uh, horticulture response, especially it's funny because we do have an upcoming Masters of Magic YouTube video uh, that focuses on a manager of horticulture and all of that so <laughs> that's it. it immediately when when i saw that rhino and pete and tyler were working on that one i was like this is michael in the future if if he ever decided <laughs> to actually retire right in anaheim or magic kingdom this is probably what he would want to do but uh, for me it's it's it is driving the vehicles on main street uh like the other one that would kind of be close would be would be uh, driving a train but at oh, the same time yeah. with that you're just stuck on your loop knowing how positions work you know yeah you might have to switch off and do some other stuff that you're not quite into uh well, besides just Dis- being an engineer at disneyland you would have had to have learned how to make a left turn <laughs> and that's difficult i've <laughs> i've only learned how to take rights all my years uh and <laughs> So that one like jumped out at me. And, you know, there's always I know so many people out there who haven't worked in the parks automatically jump to, oh, I would love to be a Jungle Cruise skipper. I would love to be a Haunted Mansion uh, employee, like a cast member. Sorry. Anything like that. But the thing, once you you work in theme parks and you understand rotations and the fact that something like Jungle Cruise, it's great when you're you're on the boat. But then when you're not and you're out front at greeter or at exit or grouping or any of those, those people aren't as happy as the ones driving <laughs> around on the boat. And I'm sure someone out here will disagree with me and say that they enjoy doing it as much. I can only base it on my friends that I've had that have driven boats and their response on it. And, you know, I... It, it when I worked the Wizarding World, I understood what it was like to wear a terrible costume that's heavily themed, and people love it, but it's a pain in the butt to wear. So I can assume the same probably goes at the Haunted Mansion that you don't want to be standing outside a greeter on a ninety degree day having to wear your entire getup. Uh, it's it's probably awful, but when you're inside walking that belt loading people on, it's probably the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, so there's. It, that's why I, I go away from stuff like that. I want to think now about what is just something that you can sit back, relax on, still have to pay attention all the time so you don't run over people, uh, but just get to take in the park, have casual conversations with guests. And the best thing I can think for that besides you know, driving a boat 
uh, like in a ferry boat around one mm-hmm. of the smaller ones the best thing is driving a main street vehicle so the only other thing i could think of is if i was in disneyland paris and if you could be like a sommelier at waltz and be surrounded in that restaurant environment on main street all day and just like just pick wines and pour wines for people that, that would also be amazing but that i'm not a sommelier fun. so i just yeah. i would love the work that i would have to do to become a sommelier <laughs> okay when you worked in the wizarding world of harry potter did everybody did guests assume you were a weasley when i wore gryffindor colors it was okay. the biggest comment i only wore it uh, maybe three times so mm-hmm. the worst was there was one point where i was changing garbage that was the my entire shift was just changing garbage cans and uh, extending shortening the line and i was wearing gryffindor and every single person i swear that shift came up and asked if i was a weasley because you know they all thought it was funny and Mm -hmm. it just got so annoying and that was the last day that i wore gryffindor because i was like i can't i can't do that again and in the (laughs) beginning i i mixed around between between um Usually, most of the time, it was either Hufflepuff or Slytherin, and then I, I there's a couple times I threw in Gryffindor, and it was just like, no, it's I, I'm a Slytherin until I lost a lot of weight uh, from constantly hauling garbage and got really, really skinny, and then then I was able to to fit into the small and extra small vests of of Hufflepuff, and <laughs> then I then I just told people that I was a Slytherin in disguise. To infiltrate oh. the Hufflepuff house because <laughs> you funny. had to just in case the same guest saw you two different days in a row and asked what were you weren't weren't you in a different house the other day when I saw you I go yep Fine. you caught me those are observant guests <laughs> there's <laughs> more there observant is a than lot, I am. yeah <laughs> uh, well this was fun and you know there are so many other questions in the theme park and resort category so we didn't get to your question this time we're sorry it wasn't that we didn't like it it's just that we can't have a six-hour podcast and um it's about you know hang on to that question and in the beginning of 2019 when we have another q a show resubmit that question unless you think of a different one or resubmit more than one and increase your chances. I saw I saw the same names coming up several times when yeah. I was regrouping these questions. Exactly. So. There, there's no limit to how many times you can ask a question. So mm-hmm. the more you ask, the better chance we have of reading your question. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's a new month, and that means it is a new week in Disney history. This time we're looking at the week of November 3rd. Of course, we have our our returning champion for the last couple of weeks, Craig Williams, and then there's Tom. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) We are are happy to have back Tom Bell, who is assistant editor for the Diz Unplugged. So, so Tom, one of yes. the um, one of the things that what you you had a wonderful tagline um, mm. on, on our old Disneyland show, which is you know Disneyland's more magical when it's shared. Yes, but what, what what are some of the things that make Disneyland really magical for you? Um, just the the atmosphere. I mean, I can I can go to Disneyland not experience anything and still have a good time 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was there last month. The fast pass system was down. And so trying to get a max pass was was impossible. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, let's go Tom Sawyer Island. Let's go watch Mickey and Magical Map. Um, let's just sit and, and watch people go by. And it's just, it's, it's, you can, you can do that at Disneyland. And uh, also, I mean, there is, it's the repeatability factor as well. I mean, you, you, there's so much detail in such a small space that it's always, there's always something new. Oh, absolutely. I, I can spend half the day just sort of wandering around. And yeah. as I talked about on, on our Disneyland show and on this show, I, I can hang out for hours just in New Orleans Square listening to music and mm-hmm. watching the boats go by. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's my favorite land yeah. and yeah. all that. So, yeah, I agree with you. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to run through the rules for our, our um, listeners playing at home. Uh, for this, if you choose to not hear the multiple choice options, you will receive three points for a correct answer. If you choose to hear the multiple choice options, you will receive two points for a correct answer. If you ask me to remove an incorrect option, you will receive one point for a correct answer. And if you correctly answer the question after your opponent answers the question incorrectly, you will receive one point. Now, some questions may have the opportunities to earn bonus points. You can earn one point for each bonus question correctly answered. In the event of a tie, there will be a tiebreaker question, and um, pencil and paper will be helpful for those questions. So, Tom, you all set? I am. Craig, how about you? <laughs> Silence is um, no. acquiescence. No, I mean, I'm not ready, but do I have a choice? Not, not, a, not if you want this show to end at some point. <laughs> I'm willing to take this until, you know, 11 o'clock my time. Sure. So... They don't know this. That's not not far off. (laughs) An hour. Okay. So, So, um, Tom, as our guest, do you like to receive the question or pass it on to Craig? (laughs) Um, I'll I'll start this time. All right. Good. Otherwise, you're going to get another awkward silence. I know. Yes. I'm going to give another another Walt Disney World question. Watch. This will be the one he wrote. I know. Yes. Okay. So, for November 3rd, I, I, I already know. I'm in trouble. I already know Craig's going to laugh. The Twilight Zone episode, (laughs) It's a Good Life, first airs on television on November 3rd, 1961. It features (laughs) actor Bill Mooney as a six-year-old Anthony Fremont who has godlike mental powers. What is this episode's Disney connection? A bonus question is available. I hate you, Tom. I hate you so much. (laughs) So is this where the episode that they took uh, Rod Serling's image from for the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror? Is that your final answer? That is. I'm, that is correct. Go ahead okay. and say the bonus point is that it was a map of the United States. Um. Well, well I think you would be wrong there. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm okay. willing to take yep. a chance. 
Rod Serling's introduction of Walt Disney World's Tower of Terror attraction um, as viewed uh, in a library is taken in part from this very episode. Serling begins the program with the words, Tonight's story on the Twilight Zone is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Imagineers completed the introduction for the attraction with dialogue by sound-alike actor Mark Silverman. This episode contains the longest narration of the entire series. Now, the bonus question is, is that there is a second correct answer. So I'm going to have to read all of the multiple choice to you now. Okay, so one of these is correct, Tom, for an extra point. A, there is a homage to Anthony Fremont in the Tower of Terror attraction. B, it served as an inspiration for the Carousel of Progress. And then there's C, the correct answer. D, it was filmed on the Walt Disney Studios back lot. Let's say D. Final answer? Yes, sir. Okay, that is incorrect. Mm. So, um, Craig, over to you. There are many little references to Twilight Zone episodes, but in this case, I believe there is a reference to Anthony Fremont. Okay, do you happen to know where it is? Or what it is? <laughs> so extra points in that? Uh, yes, it is. If I remember correctly, um, I've gone through there. I tried to make a video one point in time about all the little references from um, there's uh, obviously there's the uh, dummy that is in the, the end point when you're starting to turn in your elevator you can see it off to either the right or left depending on which shaft you're in uh you have the the kind of the devil um fortune teller inside the library and if i've seen it which i'm 99.9 percent positive i am on this one i think it's a poster with anthony fremont's name on it that is correct it's a small poster dedicated to anthony fremont and his orchestra i kind of love this ride <laughs> I can, uh, yes, I remember from last week. Yeah, it's <laughs> I. I'm one of those nerds who a lot of times in my life I've chose to not go out on New Year's Eve in the Fourth of July when they run the Twilight Zone marathon, despite the fact that they're readily available on Hulu and uh, and Netflix. But that's my life, so I accept it. Okay, all right, <laughs> well, good. Okay. Um, November 4th, Craig, it's your turn. Which opening day Disney's California Adventure Experience closed on November 4th, 2002? Oh, I. Um, <laughs> multiple choice. Yeah, there's like a half a heart. Um, yeah. A. Superstar Limo. <laughs> B. The ABC Soap Opera Bistro. C, Eureka, that was a parade. D, Disney's Step in Time. You didn't make it easier. I'll go with um, Superstar Limo. I I don't know. That that is the easy answer, but that is incorrect. Okay, so Tom, over to you. Is it the ABC soap opera Bistro, Eureka, or Disney's Step in Time? Only because we actually ate there one time. I'm going to say the ABC Soap Opera Bistro. Yeah, we ate there too. It it, it was not quite the um, experience of, mm. of that they wanted it to be. And you are correct. <laughs> mm. So anyway, 
um, yeah, yeah, that 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 was. There's not much you could say about that. No, I think Carolyn. I think Carolyn enjoyed it. Um, uh, you've said that on this episode, so I know she enjoyed. Yes, it. yes not this episode, did. but on the show. But on the show, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Tom, November fifth, yeah. Disney Silly Symphony cartoon short, The Old Mill, directed by Wilfred Jackson is released by RKO Radio Pictures on November 5th, 1937. What is noteworthy about this short? Mm, come on, Tom. Tom. Noteworthy? I mean... Oh, Tom. <laughs> Don't let him spook you now. I know. Uh, yeah, I mean... Remember, he's our de- film de- guy. Define noteworthy. Yeah. Oh, no, exactly. no, come on. Oh. Noteworthy. Something oh, noteworthy, about, significant, groundbreaking. About the film? Um, yes. Groundbreaking probably would have been a, a better word. I'll take, the, I'll take the multiple choice. Okay. A, it is the first Silly Symphony color cartoon. B, it is the first Silly Symphony cartoon to be converted to 3D. C, it is the first Disney film to use the multiplane camera. Or D, it is the first Silly Symphony cartoon to not have any human characters. Uh, um, I'm going to go with D. D, it's the first Silly Symphony cartoon to not have any yeah. human characters? Yeah. Any final answer? Yes. That is incorrect. Craig, over to you. The multiplane camera, sir. Yeah. That is correct. And this is a device invented by Ub Iwerks and refined with the Disney staff that adds realism to the animation. Um, The camera gives depth by using layers of backgrounds on glass. And, of course, this is about an abandoned mill, which is now a home for wildlife. And this short and the camera will both win Oscars. And um, very frequently, the old mill is used uh, to demonstrate how the how the, yeah. the camera is used. And you can see that at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco's Presidio. And you can see a multi-plane camera if you're ever lucky enough to go into the Walt Disney Archives, the Walt That's Disney right. Studios. But it's not quite as yeah. huge. At, at the, in no. San Francisco, of course, it goes like three stories. Yeah. <laughs> But it gives you an idea. A general it does. idea. It does give you an idea, yeah. And they and they and they do have um a film showing how it all works and all that. It's probably used to one of its best effects in one in the scene in Pinocchio where but mm-hmm. right before Pinocchio goes off to school, Pinocchio's village and it zooms through and it's one of my favorite scenes in any Disney. They use film. that example in the video, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, um, let's see. Craig, I believe it's your turn. Um, November 6th, Disney President and Chief Operating Officer Robert A. Iger announces on November 6th, 2001, that the Walt Disney Company has acquired which company? Why do you got to do that to me? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean... I, I don't know how much you listen to this show, Tom, but anytime there's anything in this era involving Bob Iger and potentially Pixar, it's immediately what I'm drawn to, even though right. 99% of the time it's not <laughs> Pixar. Um, 
I'll go with multiple choice. I genuinely, I just want to say Pixar. But see, it's either Pixar or Muppets. I know if I throw that in there, he just goes. <laughs> My mind just explodes. <laughs> okay, it's someday I have to put both in there. Hey, Saban Interactive or Saban, however they said it. Um, B That's Fox choice. <laughs> Fox Family Worldwide. C, Miramax Films, or D, The Baby Einstein Company. So now I am playing with your head. There's no Pixar in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. The only thing that's jumping out to me is the Fox Family Company, because I feel like this might might have been around the time where they took over ABC Family and all that, so... That's the only thing that's jumping out at me. Other than that, I don't. I really don't know. That is incorrect. Hmm. So, Tom, over to you. Is it Saban, Miramax, or the Baby Einstein Company? Two thousand one. Okay, so trying to think, trying to think, trying to think. And um, Saban, that's that's uh, Power Rangers, right? I will go with that. Okay. Hey. That is incorrect. It's actually ah. the Baby Einstein Company, oh. the award-winning creator of highly innovative media products, toys, and books for babies and toddlers. Didn't the whole thing come out afterwards that there was a study that proved they were completely ineffective? Hey, my son loved those. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. I remember them. They were very entertaining, but yeah. I don't think they produced the – no, I'm sure not. They, they couldn't prove that they increased IQs and stuff yeah. like that, you know, scientifically. Is that company still around? Do they still produce anything? It was about 14 years after my time, so I don't (laughs) really know. I I don't even recognize the name. You could tell me Baby Einstein over and over again. That won't make a difference to me. I can sing sing the theme song for you. (laughs) If it sounds like the Gummy Bear song, I will remember it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, Tom, November Hmm. 7th. Walter Fenner passes away on November 7th, 1947. I, I can already hear Craig just sucking in yeah. his breath. What is his Disney connection? Uh, multiple choice. Hey, a, he portrayed Walt Disney in the 1944 film Once Upon a Time. B, he designed the first Mickey Mouse watch. C, he designed the Lionel Train's Mickey and Minnie Mouse hand car. D, he voiced several of the dwarfs in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now that you say that, it's, uh, I'm going to go with D. He voiced several of the dwarfs in Snow yes, White sir. and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay, that is incorrect. Ah. Craig, over to you. I only know this because we've talked about it on the show. So Cheater. I- well, you know what? I, I've said it often before when it comes to these uh, trivia sections that yeah. if I didn't listen to Michael, then I'd be at a strong disadvantage. Um, I believe he portrayed Walt Disney. He did. In the 1944 film Once Upon a Time starring Cary Grant. But I still have not seen it. I have not either. So, And it was even and it inspired one of my favorite, you know, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons you know the singing frog one for what's his name ferguson j frog what's his uh, name no it's not ferguson no. it's uh timothy no. j for, um no no, no it's no. an f i think 
it's it's like a name of a city or something. I don't know. Anyway, that is correct though. Okay. I'll have to well, look I'm it just up. Going to keep thinking about there's, that. There's there's listeners yelling at us mm-hmm. right now. Yes. So uh, anyway, but they do that anyway. Okay, great. <laughs> Over to you. November eighth. Walt Disney Productions' 21st animated film is released on November 8th, 1973. What is the name of this film? Uh, which um, 1973. Mm-hmm. November 8th, 1973. 21st animated film. Uh, um, the first thing that jumps out to me in the 70s well, there's two things that jump out to me in the 70s time period, and that is Winnie the Pooh as well as um, Winnie the Pooh and then Robin Hood. And I'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards Robin Hood. Just, that's Jolie's favorite movie. That's my son's. It's not mine. I don't really care for it. Um, also, just I, it it did dawn on me. It's Michigan J Frog. Yes, Ooh, I yes. knew it was the name of a place. I knew it Very was. Good. Thank you. It's it literally. So I, I'm gonna throw this out as a random. So on my birthday, March third, nineteen ninety five, there's two movies that came out on VHS. It was The Lion King as well as uh, a terrible terrible kids movie called little giants with rick moranis and uh ed o'neill and Mm -hmm. that played as a bonus feature even though it was on vhs it was just a a short that showed before the movie started so with the hello my baby hello my honey yes yes so Uh that's (laughs) that is how i'm so familiar with it i mean besides the fact that i watch looney tunes but uh it came out on my birthday, so I will never forget that in my lifetime. And now you know my birthday, so there's also that. But send presents, uh, so, yes. So <laughs> listeners, you know, start yeah. start shopping, and that's called buying time <laughs> as well, too. Uh, to think, I, uh, I, I, I was trying to figure out where you were going with this. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those random ones where it's uh, I will never forget. In all the things that on March 3rd, 1995, I received Little Giants as well as The Lion King on VHS. And okay. I have okay. neither of them. Did, did you ever receive the 21st animated <laughs> film that was released on November 8th, 1973, Craig? I'm, I, I said it before. It's between Winnie the Pooh and Robin Hood. I'm going with Robin Hood. Okay. And you did well. Okay. <laughs> that is correct. Okay, so you pulled ahead six to four. Okay, and it will earn an Academy Award nomination for the song Love, written by George Bruns and Floyd Huddleston. Some 350,000 drawings were made for the production, with over 100,000 painted cells and 800 painted backgrounds. So, very good. Okay, Tom, over to you. November 9th. Okay. On November 9th, 1994, Disneyland ends the run of one of its oldest and most popular attractions. Which attraction is it? And a bonus question is available. 1994. Was this before you and your wife were um, in high school dating? <laughs> no. Um <laughs> 
Uh, we started dating in 93, so... Okay. Um, attraction ended its long... I'm going to go out there on the limb and say Country Bear Jamboree. That is incorrect. Ah. Okay. okay, so Craig, over Craig to you to steal. And that means now I, ha- I can run through the multiple choice attractions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is November 9th, 1994. Is it, it ends the run of one of its oldest and most popular attractions. Is it A, the People Mover, B, Motorboat Cruise, C, the Skyway, or D, the Mike Finn Keelboats? Um... Hmm. Uh, the. Hmm. I mean, I know that Rocket Rods was alive and well in like '98, so '90, whatever you said. Four. Four seems a little too early for the People Mover. Um, I'm gonna go with the Keelboats. Something's Mike just Finn calling me. Yeah. A final answer. Yeah. That is incorrect. Hmm. Okay. It is the Skyway, a gondola lift attraction. So it is closed. There were all kinds of reports. It closed due to stress cracks and the enormous impending cost to retrofit it? it. Earthquake safety and ADA ex- accessibility. It was tiny. Tony. What, did she, it was, oh, Tony. It was Tony's fault. <laughs> to our Tony from yeah. the show? Oh, yes. was that didn't... Oh, I remember his little story, yeah. <laughs> he went to Disney jail. Yes, he did. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so okay, so th- that was it. Oh, well, no, over to um, Craig. You get the general mm-hmm. question. Okay. When Disneyland's Bear Country opened, there was already a Bear Country along the tracks of the Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland. How many years did both Bear Countries exist? <laughs> oh, jeez, Louise. Um, mm. um, I'm going to go. I'm, I mean, I could ask for multiple choice. I'm going. Sure, to, it's one through six. Well, Choose a number. <laughs> that was going to be way less than what I was going to choose. Uh, I'll just say I was in the, uh, the the teen region on that one. So uh, clearly I... Well, see, that was the same range I gave Tom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll, I'll say four. Okay. All right. That is incorrect. <laughs> Tom, over to you. Well, uh, let's let's say two. Okay, that is incorrect. The answer is five. Son of a both, gun. Both bear countries existed from 1972 through 1977 until the mine train was closed to make room for Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. I mean, mm-hmm. I was closer if we're going to do mm-hmm. uh, yes. prices right roll. Prices so. right, yeah. Oh, but yes. we went over. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, no, we didn't go over. Uh, all right well tom this was a lot of fun i'm sorry that you didn't um didn't win at all win, ever we we have a lovely parting gift for you yes, of course a, nice. a coupon for a large box of cremettes a, a family <laughs> tradition since 1912 nice. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
Yeah, but thank you. It was great to be back with you again. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. It was fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on, you know, another time for if you just feel you want to deal with this again. Yes. I'll have to study next time. No, you you just you were suffered the bad fate of just getting the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. wrong that's what always yeah. that's what always happens. You know, the, the 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 there are weeks that the other person gets all the film questions mm-hmm. and Craig doesn't get any and he knows and he knows all the film questions. Right. It, it's funny how it works out. Yeah. The yeah. amount of times I've gotten only Disneyland questions and I just have to <laughs> hit myself on the head. Okay. Okay, so Tom, you have you have to say it for all the legacy Disneyland show users before you have to end this segment. Okay. Uh, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Craig. You're welcome. So next week we will um dive into questions in the other categories. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners find you on the Dis Unplugged network of shows? As always, you can find me Tuesdays on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, Thursdays on the Universal Edition, Wednesdays on the Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, some days on the Dis Daily Fix, and always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And I finally gave you my email for the first time in this episode. So, yeah, you can also... You can always email me to Craig at Disney Info, or I also have a Craig at WDWinfo.com account, but uh, I, I'm more likely to engage on social media than I am to 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 engage in emails just because it's it's so old-fashioned. Oh, well, so I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy, so actually I would prefer that you send me messages <laughs> at Michael at WDWinfo.com, because what has been happening lately is... So many questions are coming in or comments on all the other social media pages. I can't keep track of them. And I'm accidentally, unintentionally not responding to people because I I see a question thinking, oh, I've got to go back on the Facebook or Instagram and make sure I grab that question. And I completely forget. Yeah. But at least an email, I see them all. So I might not respond immediately, but I know they're there. And I'll get to them. So so definitely, if you have questions or comments or things for me, rather than leaving them on all the other social media pages I'm about to share, send them to Michael at WDWinfo.com. On Twitter, um, my personal page is mbowling121. On Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Um, the one with the Disney content has the Connecting with Walt banner to help you find the right one. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling, the Diz. And you can connect with both me and Craig on Twitter at our official Connecting with Walt Twitter page, at Connecting Walt. And if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes where you can subscribe to our shows and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day and remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney and his brother Roy. Roy.